0: sermon title today is A Glorious Destiny in Christ. And so know that I will be um, talking a lot about what that looks like. And so something I, I just want to say about destiny before we even dive into the scripture behind it is that destiny is something that obviously it's destined to happen, but it will happen right so we navigate our life hoping things will happen and we also navigate our life trying to will things forth to happen and we strive and work for things to happen and scripture tells us very clear god will not be mocked a man will reap what he sows and so there are some things in this life that we'll sow into and then we'll reap a harvest And our work that goes into it will bring forth a consequence, or what is it, cause and effect, right? So bring forth an effect. We can cause things to happen. But I think concerning destiny, oftentimes it seems as though we don't have a choice as to whether or not it will happen. It will simply happen. It's destiny. So regardless of the things that we do, whether good or bad, the place we end up is going to be the same. But also, we have to understand that we serve a sovereign God, and simply serving a sovereign God means that He knows all things and sees all things and is in control of all things. And so we serve a God who, in His infinite might, His wisdom, His power, and His strength, his foresight and his love that he knows the decisions we'll make in our life and somehow some way he weaves things together all the good and all of the bad so that we still get to where he wanted us to be our destiny i have to tell you a i have to tell you an interesting story about how the father weaves things together and brings us a certain place. And so we're gonna dive a little bit back into, into my past where I certainly didn't live according to the spirit, but certainly according to the flesh. And I made a lot of decisions in my earlier years of like being 19, 20, 21, just getting out of high school and moving into college and trying to navigate life and figure out who I was and where I was going. And one of the things that I desired more than anything was a relationship with with a girl. I wanted a girlfriend. I wanted and then essentially, eventually to be uh, married. And so there were things that I did in my, in my chase for that relationship. And so it, it led me into a time where I did lots of drinking and I did illegal drugs. But also made, it, with all of that, I made decisions that I knew were not according to what the Lord desired for me. So I was essentially one foot in, one foot out in the back of my mind, knowing what the Father wanted for me, but also knowing what I wanted for me. And so I tried to will forth a certain thing in my life. And so I entered into a relationship with a girl at one point. Uh, must have been 19 or 20. I can't remember exactly. And she was actually an atheist. And I guess that wasn't a deal breaker for me at that point in time. It turned out that I ended up moving in with her, and it was probably about, gosh, maybe six weeks after we moved in together that we broke up, Um, but we moved into an apartment on a certain side of town that was far away, not far away, but I don't know, 10 or 15 miles from where I lived, and then I was going to school on the completely opposite side of town, but because I was with her, we had moved into this apartment, I wanted to be near her and, uh, or with her in that area, and that's where she wanted to be, so we broke up, I ended up getting a job at a steakhouse in Clear Lake, Texas, and I started working at that, that steakhouse, and I had broken up with this girl, and then I started dating another girl, (laughs) and I entered into this other relationship, uh, that was, was not according to the standards of the father, (laughs) and, uh, interestingly one evening while we had gone to the bar and we went back to her apartment and I was I was drunk I was drunk enough that I decided to begin to talk about God and what true relationship with Jesus looked like Jason's nodding his head I don't know if you've ever known the Lord but then we're struggling with alcohol It's, it's something that happens oftentimes and you think you're like the authority I know everything about it and it's like give me another shot right and so I was talking to this girl about Jesus, and, and I just remember telling her, I said, you know, the Jason you see right now is not the Jason that you're going to see one day. Everything's going to be different. She said, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? No, it's good. It, yeah. And, and, and she said, and I said, well, there's going to be a day where I completely surrender my life to the Lord, and I'm not going to be this guy anymore. And for me, it was like one day, one day, one day, even though it was new, I knew it was wrong. She said, well, what do you mean? And so I began to tell her about what true relationship with Christ looked like and what it truly means to uh, surrender yourself and give your life over and, and who Jesus is and that he died on the cross. I mean, I gave the gospel and everything. And uh, I wake up in the morning, and, you know, it's one of those, oh, you know, gosh, I must have been really drunk. And, and this girl's there, and she was like, do you remember our conversation last night? It was like the first thing out of her mouth. And I was like, oh, was I talking about God man, I'm so sorry. Gosh, that happened sometime. And she was like, no. She was like, I've never heard anything like that. She's like, "I," and this is not a knock to Catholics, but she said I grew up Catholic, and I've never heard anybody tell me about relationship with Jesus like the way you said that last night. And I was like, whoa. Like, blown away. And so she says, we have to go to church. We have to go to church. We have to go to church. I said, okay. So we'll go to church. And I'd been in and out of church. There were times where I went into church hungover because I knew I needed to be there. Like, oh, I just need something. Something's got to change. I don't care if I'm, you know, hungover. I'm coming in, whatever it is. I've been up all night, and I'm going to church because I need to be there. And I just sit in the back, and I just weep, you know. So she says, we need to go to church. And I say, okay. So we start going to this church. And about that time, I was in school for graphic design. And... One morning, they were talking about volunteering, and they said, if you want to volunteer, fill out this Connect card, whatever. So I write my name down, and there's like a box for visual arts. So I mark the box, and I put it in the basket, and probably like a week or two weeks go by, I don't hear anything. And um, I'm like, okay, this is interesting. So especially with her, me telling her about Jesus, and essentially her eventually giving her life to Jesus, whether it was that night or some other time. I know she still follows the Lord now. Praise God. Um, Crazy. But so anyways, we go to this church. I fill out this card. I'm waiting tables at the steakhouse in this area of town. And one day the pastor and his associate pastor with their wives come in and sit in my section, the pastor of this church, where I filled out this card. And I go up to him and I'm like, I'm Jason, I'll be your waiter today, and I was like, I just, before we talk drinks or food or anything, I just have to tell you, I I attend, I've been attending your church for a couple weeks now, and I just recently filled out this card about do, helping with graphic design, and, and, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I was really moved, and this, that, and the other, and I want to serve, and I want to get back into things, and his wife looks at me, and she says, here's my phone number, call me Monday, so I ended up getting an internship at this church, it's a mega church, more than like 2,000 people, they're now multi-site, so I end up with this paid internship at this mega church while I'm waiting tables, while I'm going to school to be a graphic designer, and my supervisor, her name is Angela, and she comes to me one day, and she says, she says, hey, do you do, do, you do contract work? Like, do you do freelance work? And I was like, yeah, I would love to. What, what, what do you need? She said, well, I know a guy who's a youth pastor. He just moved here, and he's attending this church in Pearland, and he needs a logo designed for his youth group. I was like, yeah, that sounds like something I can do. And she said, okay, here's his number. His name is Joe Boyd. <laughs> so then I meet Joe Boyd. I start attending this youth group with Joe Boyd. I start going to this church. I get involved. I break up with this girl. I get sober. I mean, there's all these things happening. i just just in a DUI earlier that year. Like, all this stuff is happening. I end up becoming really great friends with Joe. And then if you know the rest of my story, in 2010, I moved here to become a location pastor of Aviator Church because Joe Boyd called me and said, I feel like the Lord's calling, telling me I need to call you to ask you to come move here. Now, how many bad decisions did I make with these women and with these, these drugs and these this alcohol? And that... Knowing that the Father had a plan for my life, has a plan for my life, had destiny for me, yet I run around acting like a fool. And even in my foolishness, his wisdom and his faithfulness is greater than my actions. That is mind-boggling to me. Here I am, So I'm, I'm this guy, I'm struggling in my relationship with the Father, but I'm wanting the things of the world. So then I move in with a girl who's an atheist, I move to a different part of town, I get a job at a restaurant where I start dating another girl who I, who I evangelize while I'm drunk, and then we go to a church where I get an internship, where I meet a guy who needs a logo that eventually is going to call me to move here to become a pastor. That is mind-boggling. You know what that story is not? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, with this kind of story, but my story is not, oh, I grew up in the church, and I just did everything right, and, man, I discerned the will of the Father, and, you know, I, may, I didn't date anybody. You know, I was a virgin when I got married. Like, I've never done drugs. I've never done alcohol. That's not my story. And, God, there are testimonies where people say, I came to know the Lord when I was, like, 10 years old, and, man, I've just served him with all my heart and strength, and he's so good, and here's where I am, and God bless him for getting a hold of me. Right? God bless God. (laughs) Bless yourself, Lord. We bless you. And the reason I say that is because we have a glorious destiny in Christ. And when we're in Christ and we're His, Scripture tells us that we are in His hand and He is in the Father's hand, and that nobody can snatch us away. We are His, and there's nothing, 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 nothing. In the end of Romans 8, it says, For I'm convinced. That nothing, death or sword or famine, angels or demons, anything can separate you from the love of the Father. Not even our foolish decisions. Because God is doing a work in our life, and the work that He's doing is our destiny to be conformed into the image of the Son. And so when we, are, we enter into relationship with Jesus Christ, our destiny is that we're conformed into the likeness of Christ it's not it might happen if we make the right decisions. Although when we partner with the Holy Spirit, we, we do begin to live according to His will. And so today I'm talking about partnering in the process of sanctification, which means changing us, cleansing us, purifying us, and making us holy. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. But this is our destiny, and, and it's not just that I hope one day I will look like Christ. It's something shifted in me a couple of, a couple of weeks ago when I was, and I told you this last week, but it was, it was so profound that as I was moving into prayer, like, uh, essentially seeing myself stepping into the throne room, it was like I didn't want to approach the Father because of my guilt and my shame for lingering sin. It's perpetual, over and over and over, just stupid crap that I hate. Right, we can hate our sin. It's okay, and I'm approaching the Father, and I'm cowering, and I'm like, I don't want to go. And Jesus is like, I'm, am I not by your side? And then I just imagined and, and saw Jesus with his his arm next to me, walking in to the Father. But I thought about that. I mean, we're the bride of Christ. He's our husband. He's our intercessor. He loves us, and I just thought about that that scripture with the yoke. We're yoked with Christ. And so he says, no, let's go. We're going to go talk to the Father. And I'm like, okay, Jesus. And I get in and I begin to just, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I haven't prayed. I haven't read my Bible. And I'm still struggling with the sin. And it was like he said, and he shut me up with his authority. He said, am I not changing you? And that just changed me because I began to consider my destiny in Christ is that, yes, the Father is at work in my life. And I will be conformed to the image of His Son. Not I might be. My destiny in Christ is that I will be transformed. I will be pure. I will be blameless. I am a son of God. And the truth is I am sanctified and I am seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am. I am. I am. And we will be. And that just, that shifted something in me. Because I went, I began truly believing that that is my destiny, that's my fate. And so there's no more, and this is, we're going to dive into some of the scripture, but this is where it says that we can boldly approach the throne of grace and mercy. Because we know our destiny. And we receive our grace and our mercy in time of need. And when are we in need? All the time. Every day. Sometimes every single moment. And so... Let me read Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 30. This is one of my favorite scriptures. And typically I stop short at 828 because it's so good, but I kept reading and I was like, whoa. So it says, we know in all things, right, whether good or bad, whether I live with an atheist or I date a Christian woman, whether I work at this restaurant on this side of the city or this restaurant on this side of the city, right, whether, whether in all things... God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. He takes all of the good and he takes all of the bad and he works it out for his purpose and his purpose for us. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. So we're not going to get into this Calvinistic predestination reformed theologian debate. That's not what this is about. But for those God foreknew, He also predestined to be be conformed to the image of His Son. We have destiny in Christ to be conformed into the likeness of Christ. And it will happen that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He called. Those He called, He justified. And those He justified, He glorified. And so let's talk real quick just about what this means this phrase to be conformed to the image of his son. What is this phrase image? What is this? And so when I look up the Greek it actually comes from this this word icon. Have you guys ever heard of an icon or like a logo? Right? It's this image. It's symbolic. It holds meaning and depth beyond just what you see at face value, and this is who we are. We're more than just skin and bone, right? We're souls, and we're spirit, and there's something deeper because that's the image of God in us. Scripture tells us, uh, I think it's in in King somewhere, that the Lord doesn't look at the outward appearance, but he looks at the heart, and so this word means mirror-like representation, and it also means it exactly reflects its source. So to be the image of God, you reflect exactly the source, who's the Father and Christ and Holy Spirit, right? He's our, he's our source of all things. And so our destiny is to reflect that and to be a mirror-like representation so that there's, again, he says, we'll be presented without blemish, there's not going to be any difference in us we will be as christ is and we are as christ is so this in uh, philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says this being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of christ jesus so the truth is that when we give our lives to Christ and we enter into this relationship with him, that he begins a work in us. Now, I I can pinpoint a moment in my life where I felt as though there, something shifted, like I gave my life to Jesus. You know, I raised my hand, I responded, I had the pounding heart. You know, okay, Jesus, I'm going to give my life to you right now, so this will stop or whatever. So I've got this pounding heart. And I raise my hand, I go up, and I'm weeping. I'm saying, yes, Lord, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I want to enter into a relationship with you. So something shifted. So at that point in time, he began a good work in me. And And that was like at 14. And so when I'm out here at 20, 21, 22, just being a wacko, that work was still happening in me. I was still his child. He had not neglected me, nor had he forsaken me, nor had I become an illegitimate child. I was just living according to the flesh. The scripture was wooing me and the Holy Spirit was wooing me to begin, to begin living by the Spirit in me. And so there's this work that's began in every single one of us. We ha- and, and so we, it, in essence, we have to realize that this is happening in us and it's happening in each and every single one of us who have given our lives to Christ. He's began a good work and that work will be brought into completion on the day of our Lord Jesus. But I want to say this. We have to recognize that this process is common to man. It's not uncommon to man. Each and every single one of us are going through this process of being made into the image of Christ. I want to call that sanctification. To be sanctified, to be made pure, to be made holy, to be made set apart, without blemish, pure. So all of us are enduring this process of sanctification. Even though there are still times in our life where the desires of the flesh and our partnership with the flesh and our partnership with sin will manifest according to what Paul had talked about, the works of the flesh are obvious. There's adultery, there's sexual morality, there's drunkenness, there's envy, there's discord, there's anger, there's all these things. And and even though the process is happening in us of setting us apart and making us holy, cleansing us, purifying us, Sometimes these things still manifest and if if you're just if you're a person <laughs> and you know people, you see that manifest in people. You see those things manifest in people. If you're married, you see those things manifest in your spouse. Or you were cutting or you're being really nasty to me right now or you just you this, you that, you this, you that. And so there are times where I know that I'm 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 really harsh with Cam. I know there's times I'm really harsh with Illy. I'm harsh with Henry. There's times where I'm angry, where I'm, um, I'm tired, I'm annoyed, and I'm not living in love with my family. But you better believe that when I get up in the mornings and I go and I hit my knees and I'm crying out to the Father, I'm presenting those things to Him and saying, God, you got to take this away. you got to help me with this. you got to cut this off. I, I, I admit it. I confess. Help me, Father. Help me, help me, help me. And so I think all of us are going through this process. The other thing we need to uh, understand is that our struggles, our temptations, and the faces that we, or excuse me, the temptations that we face are common to man. And so just know that all of our brothers and sisters in Christ and even those closest to us are struggling with their own demons, so to speak. They're struggling with that battle against their own flesh. And so... I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about partnering with God in this process of sanctification in our own lives. And I want to talk about partnering with God in the process of sanctification in the lives of others. So put the slide up just in the process in our own lives. So here's, what I, here's something that shifted for me when I had that moment with the Father. And he said, am I not changing you? He reminded me of the work that he's doing in my life. Because I believe he wanted me to fully partner with his work in my life. We can either run away from and rebel against what he's trying to do in us. Or we can partner with him. We can say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, amen. Amen means I agree. Let it be so. And so I believe that we can consciously and in our spirits, in our minds, we can agree with the work that the Father's doing in us because He is changing us. And so it's as simple as saying, God, I I want what you want for me. I want that. And so have your way in me. Do whatever you need to do. We make ourselves vulnerable, but to agree with the work and the will of the Father, to say then, your will on earth as it is in heaven and agree with that and say look I see that there's something in me that you're trying to change you're trying to work this out like I've got all these things that I give you time and time again yet when it comes time to actually allow the spirit to kill the flesh subdue the flesh and bring my soul and my body into alignment with what the will of the father is I, I buck the system I buck the process and I'm like no I don't really want that she really pissed me off this time I can't forgive right right and so we have to one process with, or excuse me, partner with that process and just say, "Father, I want what you want for me." You're sanctifying me, you're making me holy. I agree with that work in my life, and I just say, "Yes, Lord, do that in me." And when, when that happens well, even before that happens, we have so much grace for ourselves. How much grace do you have for you? How much forgiveness do you have for you? How much love do you have for you? most of the time our, enli- our entire life is like all of our actions are predicated on the fact that we want to feel or think or exist a certain way like i don't want to be tired i don't want to be hungry i right i this i that i this i that me i me and we live our lives loving ourselves essentially and we love our we're supposed to love others as we love ourselves and we love ourselves because we judge ourselves based on our intentions and even if we act in a way that isn't according to uh, uh, the way that we should act with, by the Spirit in us, we forgive ourselves. How, I can't tell you how many times I've sinned and forgiven myself. But then when others sin against me, oh, I don't know that I can forgive you. And then if you, like, marked it out on a, on a T-chart, like, okay, Jason on, the si- on this side and others on this side, Jason has forgiven himself times. And then over here, it's just like 10 times maybe I've really forgiven others. Or or if we just look at it, I go from zero to forgiveness for myself in five seconds. I go from zero to forgiveness uh, towards others in five days. Right? Years. People hold grudges. And so, partnering with this process... Partnering with God in this process in our lives, I think, can help us to partner with that process in other people's lives. So in the same way that we say, yes, God, you're sanctifying me, I agree to that work, why not look at others and say, you're sanctifying them, I agree with that work so that the same grace and mercy and love and consideration and kindness and patience that we give ourselves on a daily basis, and we have given our, ourself this our entire life, what if we began to extend that to others? And what if we began to look at the other person and know that inside of them, there's something going on, there's a process, there's a work that will come to completion. And so if I look at you and I say, I know that one day, You're not going to be this cutting towards me. Well, then I'm going to be patient and I'm going to give love and mercy and grace until that manifests because in Christ it will manifest. We don't have to hope that one day they'll change. This is what love does. Jesus doesn't bring us into relationship with him, woo us to him so that we can then exist in this life and then he's hoping like, well, one day I hope he comes around. God's not from his throne looking down and saying, well, if he'd just get his act together. I hope one day he'll be, well, you know, it's, it's kind of up to him to conform himself into the likeness of you, so we'll just see what happens. This is not reality. This is not reality, but we think this about ourselves. Well, maybe one day, maybe one day, but the truth is it will happen. And so how, how powerful would it be if you began to recognize that that process is actually taking place in those around you? And then you begin to partner with that process. So I want to talk just real quick about what this, what Scripture tells us this process is, and then um, how it kind of fleshes out. So Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty-five through twenty-seven says, "Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word, and to present her to Himself as a radiant church." without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, I preach this all the time at weddings. But it's really interesting because what it's doing is it's actually showing Jesus' love for us and making Jesus' love the standard. So it's just as Christ loved the church, well, who's the church? The church is us. The church is you those who were in him. And so, how did Christ love the church? One, he gave himself up for her. Jesus said, if anyone would follow me, he must take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. We die to self. Jesus gave himself up in order to, one, make her holy. And so, if Jesus is in the process of giving himself up and loving Us, to make us holy, how much more should we give ourselves up and love others in order to make them holy? To partner in that process. So Jesus has goals with his love and his giving himself up for us to make us holy. And how does he make us holy? He cleanses us by washing with water through the word. Now the interesting thing about this is that this word, W-O-R-D, in Greek, is actually Rama word, which means a spoken word, or actually spoken by the living voice. And so oftentimes we're like, we're going to speak scripture over them. We're going to read scripture over them. No, it's, they're cleansed and made holy by the washing of the word of the Father, the living God speaking into the lives of his children. The only reason I have this sermon is because I approached the Father and he asked me a question in essence making a statement i'm changing you and then through his scripture i i am and by the spirit in me i get more insight as to what that looks like and how that's going but all i needed is one rama spoken living word from the living god to shift something in me to remind me of the washing and the cleansing that's happening and so as we exist in relationship with the father and he's speaking into our lives, and we submit ourselves to what he's saying and what he wants and his will, well, then there is that process that's taking place. And so the purpose of this is to present to himself the bride as a radiant church. That means like radiant, like vivid, glowing, bright spectacular existence without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish holy and blameless blameless and blameless is simply the unblemished being unblemished from the marring effects of sin and so when Christ sees us he doesn't see what sin has done he sees what he has done and we are clothed in righteousness we're clothed in Christ And so I think it's important that in the same way that Christ loves the church and is working this thing out, that we can partner in that process of love, cleansing and washing and purifying by giving ourselves up. And so very practically, we give up our right to be offended and we give up our right to be right. And that's difficult because people do and say a lot of offensive things and there are a lot of people who are wrong <laughs> in what they do but we give that up because while we were still sinners Christ died for us and so while those around us are still sinning can we not die for them so 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4 through 6 again another marriage scripture it says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, giving ourselves up. It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not keep record of wrong. So if in our situations, in our relationships other with others, if all we want in an argument is to be right, well then we're not loving because it holds no record of wrong. You're wrong, I'm right. That's not love. That's not love. Even if you're right and they're wrong, you don't say that because love doesn't boast. And love is not proud. What platform do we have to stand on to point our finger and yell at somebody about being wrong and us being right? What does love do? It's patience. But you offended me. Yeah, but you're being turned into the image of Christ, so it's fine. I know who you are in Christ. For we no longer regard anybody according to the flesh as though we once did Christ, but we do so no longer. We regard people according to the Spirit and who they are in Jesus. In Christ, you are not this person who offends me and hurts me. And he's working that out in your life, and I say yes to that. And so according to your will, Father, let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. You are a child of God. I am not your father. I am not your father, Luke. That would have been a different movie. God is your father, and you are his child. And I have to believe and understand that the Lord is going to deal with his kids in the way they need to be dealt with. Sometimes we think we can parent other people's kids, but we don't know them like their parents know them, and we don't know people like our father knows them, but we do know about them that there are things that are common to man that people are struggling with that probably you've prayed for in yourself, Lord, take this away from me, and he says, okay, well now I'm going to use this person who has that same thing to show you how to really deal with that situation. Because there's nothing like seeing yourself in someone else when you've said, I'll never be that person. And so there's this process, right? And we can love others in that process. And so I just wanted to read kind of the, the opposite of, of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 6. And I'm going to ask you this question. Are you impatient, unkind, envious, envious, boastful, proud, dishonoring, self-seeking, easily angered? Do you keep record of wrongs? Do you hold grudges? Do you delight in evil? Are you untrusting? Do you lack hope? Are you giving up? Think about that concerning your friends and your family and your spouse and your kids and those around you. What are those, have you given up on that person? Thinking they're just never going to change. That's a lie. If they're in Christ, they will be changed. They are changing because God's at work in their life. So when we realize this, how much more can we give grace and mercy that we've been given to give to those and allow things to just roll off of our back. And we're not rolling over and 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 getting trampled on. We are dying to self, but we're also being patient. We're being kind, and we're being loving. We're not being proud, we're not boasting. So love allows for empathy so that we realize that the same thing that's happening in us and the same process that we're going through is happening in others. We can see it. We decide to partner with it by loving. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And so Christ, our high priest, empathizes with our weakness because he too put on human flesh and walked the earth and was tempted in every single way that we were tempted, yet he didn't sin. But the truth is we all wear this skin suit and navigate this earth. We're all tempted by the same things. We all struggle in some of the same ways. We all have this flesh that we struggle with. And so if Jesus could put, the, put that suit on and come and then know what we struggle with and then have empathy for us, well then why when we look at a brother who struggles with the same thing do we not have empathy or sympathy? Or why don't we love or why don't we forgive? Why do we harbor anger? Why do we hold grudges? Why do we hold on to our right to be offended or our right to be right? If we know that we've struggled with the same things, it's like Go into an AA meeting, and then people feeling welcome because they look around the room and they know that everybody in that room has struggled with alcoholism in some way, shape, or form the same way they have. And there's community there, and there's healing there. But what happens is you get into a community of faith where there's supposed to be healing, and people are holding grudges. People are being offended. People aren't loving. People aren't kind. Why do you think people aren't being healed? It's tough, it's rough. So let me ask you this question. So it says, let us, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So the question is, can others approach you with confidence that they'll receive the same grace and mercy that you've received from God? Scripture tells us that we can go to the Father and he's always there with mercy and grace and empathy and we can boldly approach him. And we will always get what we need, but can we get the same thing from those around us who look to us to love them and help them in their relationship with Christ and to not judge them or hold things against them or tear them down or make them feel invaluable? Can they get that same thing from us that we've so freely received from God? It's like the man who went and owed the king so much money. and The king forgave him all his debt the man leaves, sees a guy who owes him significantly less money, and then says, "Throw him into the jail till he pays me." We do that same thing with the love that we've been given. We say, "Oh, thank you, Father. I'm so unworthy of your love. I receive it. Yes, thank you." And then those closest to us, we say, "You didn't, or you haven't, or you can't or you won't, and so therefore you don't deserve my love." We've done the same thing, and it's disgusting. It's disgusting. And I don't say this to tear us down. I say this to challenge us because, one, we partner in the process with God in our own lives. And when we really understand what he's doing in us, we have to know that it's happening in others. And because it's happening in others, well, then the way that we've partnered with it, that work in our lives from God, we can partner in that work in other people's lives. And let me tell you that there's true freedom there's true freedom in love because it doesn't hold record of wrongs. Love doesn't boast. Love isn't proud. It's not keeping track. If I kept track of the ways that everybody sinned against me, I'd be one burdened guy looking around at all the people who would hurt me carrying around that hurt and that pain still, having not yet presented it to the Father and saying, judge this situation with your mercy and grace and help me to just agree with that will for that situation. And so the, the phrase that pays, I believe, is partner in the work of sanctification with those around you. I know that there are some things in my life that I'm still struggling through and things that I've been very generic about with basically everybody around me. And I've been very generic about that struggle with my wife as well. And the Lord, before I preached this sermon, said, you have to invite your wife into your struggle. And you have to invite her into that process. You're not going to preach about something that you're going to do. You're going to talk about something that you have done because I've moved you to do it. And let me tell you that these are some vulnerable places, but I can also tell you that there are certain sins that for some of us have plagued us most of our life. I can remember five years old looking at the female body with lustful eyes. I'm 36 years old now. And so for 31 years, I've had this struggle in my soul, in my flesh. And it's not as simple as just saying, yeah, this is uh, I struggle with lust. I had to sit down with Kim and I had to say, look, I'm, I'm messed up. There is something severely off in my brain concerning this thing that has been with me for years and years and years. It's not some light and momentary affliction. This has been lifelong struggle and battle against the flesh. And it's inside. You don't see it. So it's not like you can be like, well, Jason's really struggling with this. You have no idea. And so I've been giving myself over to the Father and I've been taking steps and I've been praying and, and dedicating my mind and my eyes and my imagination and my consciousness and, and, and everything. I've been dedicating that over to the Lord. I've been confessing in the ways that I've partnered with lust in the past and I'm doing this process and I just invited Kim into the process and said, here are the things I'm praying about. Here's what the Lord is doing right now in me and so I just need to let you know this is happening because I want you to be a part of that. And some of us, we're we struggle with anger. Some of us, we, we struggle with being abusive with our words, whatever it may be. Some of us struggle still with, with alcohol or drugs or whatever it may be, substance abuse, social media, whatever it may be. So I just encourage you to look to those around you and say, look, this is what the Lord's doing in me, and I want to ask you to partner in that. And one that's asking for mercy and grace in those times where the flesh rises up and manifests. But also to say, he's working on this in me. Because there's nothing like existing in conflict with another person and then you having to question whether or not they're taking that to God and God is working on them. Do they even feel bad for it? Are they even sorry for their actions? Right? Right? Well, we can confess to one another. That's what it says. Confess to one another your sins and pray for each other that you may be healed. And so I say, Kim, this is my struggle. It's, it's deep. It's bad. It's been here for a long time. You know what they talk about with, um, with addiction is that it actually, it, it literally, it physiologically rewires your brain. And so because I've submitted myself and I've agreed to sin in my life, it has then manifest in my body. Physiologically in my brain, my synapses have rerouted because of my addiction to lust. That's deep. But I can also... Then, now with God saying, Am I not changing you? I can partner with that process. I can submit myself to the Holy Spirit, to my spirit, to then rule my soul, my mind, will, and my emotions, and then my body. And so that as I submit myself to the Lord, and I starve myself essentially, and I submit and I say, Yes, Lord, what you want, what you want, what you want, I fix my eyes on Him, the author and perfecter of my faith. Scripture tells us, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word renew, or transform actually means metamorphosis, to be physically changed. So when we fix our eyes on Christ and we submit ourselves to Him, and we are transformed, we're metamorphosized by the renewing of our mind. So I partner in the process, I renew my mind, and physiologically those synapses that were firing a one, one way, giving my body dopamine or endorphins or whatever it is by looking at certain things that's going to go away he's going to reroute my brain and i'll have freedom and i'll have healing physical healing because of a spiritual sin it's powerful stuff my friends we think it's willy-nilly oops oh this sucks i messed up again kind of stuff but God is changing us, and we will be transformed into his likeness. Our destiny is to be transformed into the likeness of Christ, and that's a glorious destiny. And we, we will be presented as pure and holy and blameless and righteous on the day of our Lord Jesus. On that day, it talks about in Revelation that there are, there are, are, there's this great white throne, and there's many people, and they'll stand at judgment, and they'll be judged for all of the things they'd, they've done. Well, if we're in Christ, we know that judgment has already come. We have to believe that the price has been paid. And we have to believe that on that day when we stand before the throne, we're not saying, well, I have or I haven't. That's good and evil. That's works. We have to say, hi, Father. I got Jesus on my side. I'm his bride. We're married. He gave me these robes. I'm so beautiful because of him. He changed me. He did the work. He purified me. I just said, yes, Lord. I just said, yes, Lord. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Enter into my eternal rest. Blessed are those who are invited into the, to the wedding feast with Christ. That's such a beautiful thing. And so, just to, just to end... I always, I always want to do some sort of functional ministry, and, I, and I, I, I kind of already know that maybe some of you are cut to the heart, and you're saying, yeah, I need to partner with this. And let me just say that I don't want to present this as something you need to do, and then you're going to feel better about yourself. Let me present this as something that Christ is inviting you into. And when you say yes, you say yes to him and you submit yourself to him, and then he changes you, and he shows you, and his spirit in you wills you to do the will of the Father. It's not just one more thing we mark off on our box of things we've done for the Lord, but we say yes to what the Lord wants to do in us. And so I believe the Lord wants to shift our heart and our mind to say yes to the process that he's working out in us and to extend that, that same mercy and love and grace to those around us who are enduring that process. And so this is just a simple, we're just saying yes, Lord. And so I'll pray, and you can add your yes and amen, and if anybody else feels led to come up and just kind of pray this out and pray this in, his will on earth as it is in heaven. I believe we've tapped in, again, we've tapped into the heart of the Father. And he's saying, this is what I desire for you. And so we're just saying, yes, Lord, what you want for us, bring it in. Administer it in today. So let's pray. Father, you are so good. Your heart for us is so deep. I thank you for your word that when you speak, there's no denying. That I, we don't have to hope that maybe we'll be changed one day. But God, by your scripture, And by your rhema, we know that we are being changed and we will be presented pure and blameless, a radiant church. Thank you that that is our destiny, and we just trust you with that as we continue to submit ourselves to you in prayer and discernment, engaging you, speaking, listening, submitting ourselves to the Spirit in us, so that our mind, will, and our emotions, our soul, and our body will come into alignment with the Spirit and that we will be metamorphosized physically, mentally, spiritually changed. And so we say yes, Lord, to that continued process in our lives. We want to be who you want us to be, and that is the likeness of Jesus. And Father, we just look to those around us, our family, our friends, our spouses, and we thank you for the work that you're doing in their lives. And so we just commit right now, Father, we commit to give the same mercy and grace to those around us when they need it that you've given us when we've approached your throne. And by your Spirit in us, we just commit to loving and being patient, and being kind, not being envious, not boasting, not being proud, not holding record of wrongs, not being easily angered, not being self-seeking, God. We just submit ourselves to you to work that out in us and transform us, That even that in and of itself is a process. But help us to be aware, and help us to have faith, and believe that this is going to happen. So, Father, I pray that you empower those uh, today who would hear this uh, to go and to invite others into their struggle, into their process. And say, look, the Lord's dealing with me on this. I need you to partner with me in this to see this thing fully fleshed out so that I can have true healing that comes from God. And so again, we just say, yes, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you. Thank you that we have a glorious destiny in Christ Jesus, that that work will come to completion, and that we are being changed, and that you see us, and you love us, and you're moving us deeper into transformation. And that's a beautiful thing. Thank you for that process, Lord, in Jesus' name.